Welcome to you if you're visiting. My name's Kieran Carr. I'm the Associate Minister here. It's great to have you with us and I'd love to meet you after the service. Um, please join us for morning tea after. Uh, we're continuing a series here called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Uh, and, and one of the main images that is used in the New Testament to uh, describe our relationships together as a church is the image of a body. Uh, I wonder if you saw it uh, in, the, in the reading, which I hope you'll keep open before you, Ephesians chapter 4. This idea that um, a body is one, but it has lots of different parts, and, and that's how we're related together uh, in the church. In fact, if you go through the reading, uh, the word body comes up four times uh, in the reading. Uh, the idea of being one uh, together comes up seven times, uh, and the word unity uh, comes up four times. No wonder in the NRSV, I think the heading you have there is uh, unity in the body of Christ. And so today we're going to be talking about building up the body. Uh, a person this morning at our 7.30 service said, what, what an appropriate message to hear uh, as we think about uh, Malcolm's news last uh, week that he's going to be leaving uh, and we together as a community are going to be looking for uh, a new direction uh, and a new minister uh, to serve us in the long term. Uh, how appropriate indeed. And so there's three things that I want to look at uh, the body of Christ, what this passage says about the body of Christ and unity uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, and the first is this, uh, that our body has a soul or in other words, his spirit is with us. Uh, secondly, our body begins as a baby or we've been born again. And thirdly, our body needs some work. Uh, we need to grow up. Uh, you'll see the phrase grow up literally in verse 15 uh, if you look at chapter 4 in front of you. Uh, but here's the big idea today. Uh, even though we have the very life and power of God living inside of us, we won't grow up until we do the hard work of creating unity in the church. So firstly, let's look at this first point, that our body has a soul or his spirit is with us. If, if I were to ask you, um, what is a Christian, uh, how would you answer that question? Well, I think you'd do well uh, to look at the top corner of your Bibles at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where it describes what a Christian uh, actually is. Uh, it says, God made us alive with Christ, even though you were dead in trespasses. Uh, can you see it there? Uh, it, it's also there in verses uh, 1 to 3, saying the same point. So, a Christian, according to um, uh, Scripture, and by the way, Jesus says this as well in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, he once was dead, but now he is alive. So, so this is what it means to be a Christian. You were spiritually dead in your sins and trespasses, but the miraculous power of God raised you, and now you're spiritually alive. This is what Jesus says. This is what Paul says. And so this image in chapter 4 uh, is, is also used in a different way in chapter 4, that, that we're a body, right? And Paul in verse 15, he says, we're the body, but Jesus is the head. So think about it, right? A body and a head share the same life. 
the same nervous system, the same circulation system. And so we as a body share the same life as Christ who is our head. In other words, the very life of God is in us. In other words, the distinguishing feature of church is not that we come to a service on Sundays. It's not that we read the Bible. It's not that we care for the poor. It's not that we love others. Fundamentally, those, those things are good, but the fundamental reality of the church is, if you're a good Anglican, join with me. We are the body of Christ. His spirit is with us. Our body has a soul. His spirit is with us. That's point one. But point two is that our body begins as a baby. Look at verse 14. The NRSV says to the Ephesians, Paul says to the Ephesians, we must no longer be children. Uh, Other translations say, then we will no longer be infants. In other words, he's not just talking children, he's actually talking about babies. And something has to happen for us in order for us to no longer be babies. Uh, Verses 12 and 13 say that something has to happen for us to become mature. If you look at 12 and 13, it talks about then until we all reach maturity, the implication being we start out being immature. So get this, it, it's all, almost like this, this, this um, paradox that on uh, point one is saying that when anyone becomes a Christian, it's like raising the dead, bringing someone back to life. It requires the same power that rose Jesus from the grave that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. That's what happens when anyone becomes a Christian and, and nothing less We'll do it. I don't care if you've been growing up in a Christian home. I don't care if you've been going to church all of your life. We're born dead. And so Jesus says you need to be born again. That's point one. The resurrection power of Jesus raises us to new life. But point two is as amazing, as amazing and as beautiful as that is, when that happens, you're just a baby. You're just a baby. You need a whole lot of parenting, a whole lot of nurture, a whole lot of training, a whole lot of help. You need parents to come and to raise you up. And if you're not willing to ask for help, if you're not willing to go looking for that help and that parenting, you won't get any. You'll stay a baby. Which is why, friends, Jesus said, anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God must become like Children, anyone who wants to enter the kingdom of God must become like children because when you're raised to new life, that's what you are. You're a baby. And, you need to, and that's why he also says those who humble themselves will what? Be exalted. You need to realize that you're a baby and that you need help. But Paul says we must no longer be children. We must no longer be infants. So let's think about the marks of a spiritual baby. Because that's the image that he uses. There's only one baby, as far as I can tell, who's a regular member of this church. And she happens to be my daughter, uh, Jasmine. And the, and the first thing about spiritual babies uh, is that they're not discerning, right? So if I say to Jasmine, Jasmine, here's healthy food and put it on the table in front of her. Here's some junk food um, and here's some poison... And put it in front of the table. Is she going to be able to tell the difference? Believe me, she is not. It's all going down into in, down the hatchet. So, 
she won't be able to tell the difference and she will die because she'll eat poison. Friends, spiritual babies are not discerning. That means if somebody comes into the pulpit or you're listening on the radio or you're watching Netflix or you're listening to your favourite podcast uh, or, or, or in conversation and, and, and they're spouting heresy or they're dishing up um, half-truths or they're giving you a, well, a, a good meal of sound doctrine and biblical teaching, if you're a spiritual baby, you won't be able to tell the difference, which means you might be eating poison. And that's not going to turn out too well for you. Spiritual babies are not discerning. Friends, look at verse 14. It's what he's saying. Have a look with me. He says, We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. Spiritual babies are not discerning. Point one. Point two about spiritual babies is that they're not steady. They're not steady literally, but, but they can't concentrate for more than 10 seconds, right? They get distracted easily. You can't rely on them for anything. In fact, they're relying on you for everything. So what does this mean spiritually? Well, it means if you come to church and you hear a sermon and you get really convicted and think, man, I need to do something about that. And as soon as the service is done, you get home, you forget It means you keep telling yourself, I need to read the Bible. And so you go and you read the Bible. But there's no fireworks, there's no excitement, there's no pizzazz. So you get bored and you stop. It means instead of being an adult who can feed yourself on God's word and can feed others so that the family can grow and the family can be strong, you still need somebody else to, to feed you. It's, it's what you call cotton candy Christianity, just lollies and chips. And what happens to a body when your diet is all lollies and chips? And what happens when you can't feed yourself and feed others? Well, the family is malnourished and it doesn't grow. Spiritual babies are not discerning. Spiritual babies are not steady. And he says we must no longer be like that. So what this means for our our life together as a family at St. Philip's is firstly, don't be surprised by immaturity in other believers. You know, there are lots of exciting things about having a baby, but let me tell you, pooey nappies is not one of them. (laughs) Pooey nappies is not one, but unfortunately it comes with the territory. And, And this is what we are in the church, a family, and families have spiritual babies. And so we need to be prepared for the spiritual equivalent of pooey nappies and we need to be prepared to help clean up other people's mess in our relationships together so don't be surprised by the immaturity of other believers but secondly don't you dare put up with immaturity in yourself don't put up with immaturity in yourself you need to make yourself accountable to what you know is true about yourself You're the the best one to keep yourself accountable. And you know how easy it is to let yourself off the hook. Um, We're a bit like, uh, has anyone seen Shrek? Uh, We're a bit like Lord Farquaad in in Shrek. Uh, I want to show you this brief scene. Uh, My lord, we found it. Well then, what are you waiting for? Bring it in. 
not the most perfect kingdom of them all. Well, technically, you're not a king. Uh, Thelonious, you were saying? What I mean is, uh, you're not a king yet. <laughs> now, I'm sure you'd love to see how that scene keeps on going, but, but here's, here's the point. He looks into a magic mirror, and what does the mirror do? The mirror speaks back the truth of who he is, that he's not a king, and so he calls on the guard... With a mirror, the card's holding a mirror and smashes it and goes, do you want to have a second thought about telling me uh, what you just told me? And so he fudges the truth and and says, uh, well, actually, and, and, and because he doesn't want to hear the truth, right? Spiritual babies refuse to look in the mirror and confront the reality of who they really are, but instead they do everything that they can to destroy the evidence. Ultimately... What we say to God when we don't bring those parts of us, those besetting sins, those habits that we're stuck in, if we don't bring those towards God, we're saying, Lord, we know that you have enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, but when it comes to my sin and the dead parts of my soul, you're going to have to do better than that because it's not enough for me. It might be enough for other people. It might have been enough to raise Jesus from the dead, but those parts of my life that are stuck in sin you'll have to come up with something better than that. Do you, do you realise what an insult that is to the cross, to the resurrection? Do, do you realise how that is trashing the power of God to raise Jesus from the dead, to not bring those parts before you and to not believe that the power that was able to raise Jesus from the dead can't do that for you in your life? Friends, you need to repent if that's you. You need to repent. You need to put your trust in the power of God to raise the dead. Because if he could do it for Jesus, how dare you say he can't do it for you? And you need to follow through. You need to be a grown-up and follow through on that. And that brings us to our final point. And that final point is this. Our body needs some work. We need to grow up. Friends, we live in such an individualistic society um, and so we think that Christianity is an individual pursuit, a self-improvement thing for us as individuals. But Christianity is not an individual re- pursuit. That's why Paul uses the image of a, of a body, that we're one body. You think about it. If your hand goes that way and your head goes that way and your legs go that way, that's not a body. That's an explosion. It's not a body. And yet we think that we can follow Jesus on our own and make our own individual pursuit and come up with our own mind and go our own way. Friends, look at the book of Acts. The early Christians, they met together daily. Think of how far we've come from that call of being a body united together. So what I want you to see in verse 13 is that unity and maturity are actually inseparable. 
Maturity and unity go absolutely together. Verses 12 and 13 are talking about building up the body, right? And he he says, until all of us reach unity of the faith, there's unity, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, and maturity to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, the NRSV talks about us reaching maturity. Can you see that word there? I think it's verse uh, 13. Um, It's not actually an accurate translation when it says um, reaching to maturity um, because the NRSV tries to be gender inclusive with its language, which is actually great. Um, But here it actually obscures an important point in verse 13 because the literal word in Greek is that until we grow into a mature man, right? So you've got these two images. Stick with me here. Spiritual babies in verse 14, which is plural, spiritual babies which is plural in verse 14, and a mature man, which is singular. In other words, unity and maturity are integrally related. That to be immature is to be a bunch of spiritual babies, all pulling in different directions, all thinking about themselves, doing life on their own. That's plural. But to be mature is to be one body, to be one body. Together, singular, different parts working together in perfect unity. Think about what's so amazing about watching a brilliant athlete. It's that they have all the different parts of their body working together in perfect unity. Think about what's amazing to listen to a brilliant musician. It's that they've brought and coordinated all the bits of their body into perfect unity. That's what maturity looks like for us, to be mature and united in the knowledge of the Son. And we grow up into the full stature of Christ. See, we need a whole body to to become like Christ. It's not an individual pursuit. So the million dollar question is, how do we do it? How do we grow up into unity and maturity? Look at verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. How do we grow up? By speaking the truth in love. There it is. Paul is saying that you won't grow and I won't grow unless we're deeply immersed in a community that's close enough to each other in relationship, that's able to speak the truth to one another in love. You see, this isn't just church once a week or twice a month. This is deep involvement with one another, warts and all, where we can see each other, life on life, thick, discipling community, where we're involved with each other, speaking the truth in love. Now, what is that, speaking the truth in love? Well, on the one hand, it's conversation that's saturated with the scriptures, the truth, the sword of the spirit, like a scalpel that cuts out cancer so that the body can grow and live. But at the same time, it's saturated in the sweetness and love of the Saviour. Love is patient, love is kind, love is tender-hearted, it's warm, it's gracious. And these two come together. That's what it means. Paul is saying that what you need in, in order for your life to grow and to grow up, and what we need as a body in order for us to grow up, is these kinds of relationships where we'll be able to speak the truth in love. Otherwise, we'll remain as spiritual babies. 
So let's unpack this for a sec. Think about it. Love without truth is deadly. If I see something in your life that's doing you damage or that's doing damage to the people around you and you can't see it, is it really loving for me to just leave you to it, to keep on doing damage to yourself and to keep on doing damage to the people around you? Think about going to a doctor and they happen to be a really loving doctor. And so when they find out that you have stage one pancreatic cancer, because they're so loving, they don't want to hurt your feelings. So they don't tell you the truth. Is that a loving thing to do? No. Love without truth is deadly. Uh, In Revelations 3, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. Jesus says to the church, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So love without truth is deadly because it leaves us with the cancer. But equally, on the other hand, truth without love is deadly. Now, people, do you know anyone like that who just charges in like a bull in a china shop and drops a truth bomb on you? That's not edifying. That's, that's not helpful. It's hurtful, right? Truth without love is also deadly. You just create more of a wound and you're going to get the, back, the person's back up and their defences up. So we need love and truth together in order for us to grow up. But here's the thing. We can't do it. Think about it. Firstly, temperamentally, usually we're either more the relational and loving kind, and so we struggle to tell the truth, or temperamentally you might be more the rational, truthful kind, and so you struggle to show love. Temperamentally, we tend to veer one way or the other. But, but secondly, we can't do it because generally we're selfish and we prefer to stay in our comfort zone. And if you're the loving kind, it's too uncomfortable to be the truthful kind. And if you're the truthful kind, it's too uncomfortable to be the loving kind. And so we're selfish and we stay within our comfort zone. And we've all decided that our way is better. Much better than the other approach. So there's some self-righteousness in there too. You see, we struggle to put these things together. Think about it. Why do those of us who are more relational often fail to tell the truth? It's because we're afraid of conflict or it's because out of our fear of rejection or rocking the boat or, or, or creating discomfort. And so we don't want to experience that discomfort. We don't want to risk that rejection. And why do those of us who are more rational or truthful fail to love others? Often it's because the reason we're telling the person the truth is not out of love for them, but love for ourselves because they're annoying and we want them to stop. And so we're telling them the truth, not for their benefit, but for our benefit. Do do you see the dilemma that we're in? We can't grow up. We won't grow up without this combination of love and truth together, delivered together. We won't grow up without it. This is what we need but we're also terrible at giving it to each other because of our tendencies, our temperaments and our selfishness. Do you see what a dilemma that is? So what do we do? What's the solution? Friends, think about the gospel for a second. Why did Jesus have to die? 
He had to die because of the truth. The truth about you and the truth about me. The truth, the painful truth, that I'm a sinner and you're a rebel and you've turned your back on God. And that unless somebody comes down from heaven to earth that we celebrate at Christmas and all the way to the cross, unless he does that, unless somebody pays the price and saves you, you'll stand condemned on Judgment Day. Why did Jesus have to die? Because of the truth. That's why he went to the cross, because of the truth. And yet, this is is the most amazing and confronting truth that anyone will ever give you. But it's also the most amazing and breathtaking love that anyone will ever give you. And this is really important because when Jesus went to the cross, it was the most insulting thing you could ever possibly imagine. Because he didn't go there because for him. He went there for you. This is the most insulting thing that anyone could ever tell you, that you're so sinful and broken and twisted and distorted that it took the death of the Son of God to rescue you and to bring you back to life. That's insulting. That's why Jesus and the apostles call it a scandal. It's a stumbling block. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Jesus died because of the truth. Nothing could be more truthful. Nothing could be more insulting. But friends, Jesus died because of love. That he loved you so much that he didn't want you to go through that punishment, for you to suffer that judgment, that he was willing to go there for himself. I love you so much. You're of so much value and so much worth that I, the Son of God, will go and do it for you in your place. Do you see this, friends? The gospel is the perfect mixture of love and truth. The gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you could ever imagine. And yet at the very same time, you are more loved and accepted in Christ than you could possibly believe. Friends, that's the gospel. When that makes it from up here down to here for you, when it finally makes it down to here, it changes everything. There's a story of two businesswomen who went into a partnership together to start a business, but one of them stuffed up big time. Because of her mistakes, her income got really low, but her expenses were still extremely high, and so she finally fessed up to her business partner, and her business partner said, you know, the reason you're in this mess is just because you're a lousy bookmaker. Like, you're just rubbish at bookmaking. So here's what I'll do. I'll come in, and I'll do the books for you each month, but I'll also supply the difference between uh, your expenses and your income. And so obviously the first woman was, was relieved, but she was still in denial. She, she didn't realize how much financial trouble she was actually in. And actually she didn't want to know how much trouble she was in. She was just happy for her business partner to come in and to clean up her mess without her really knowing because she didn't want to see But eventually, one day she went in and she had a look at the books and she finally saw how big a mess she was in. 
She saw how much her friend was paying to pay for her mistakes out of her own wallet because of her screw-up. And when she saw it, she broke into tears and she went straight to her friend and said, I had no idea how big a mess I was in. I didn't realise how bad my mistakes were or how terrible my bookkeeping and so I had no idea how much you were actually loving me. Friends, here's the point. Until you realise how much trouble you're in with God, you'll never appreciate how much trouble Jesus went to to rescue you from your sins. And until you realise how much Jesus trub- how much trouble Jesus went to to rescue you from your sin, you'll never be able to face up to how much trouble you are in. We need the love and the truth of the gospel to set us free. Until you know that you're that loved, you'll never accept that you're actually that lost. And until you realise that you're that lost, you'll never realise the magnitude of his great love. And so there'll be no explosion, there'll be no fireworks, there'll be, there'll be no hallelujah, praise the Lord. There'll be no tears. The gospel is the perfect blend of truth and love. And once you accept the truth of how sinful and flawed you are, you'll never drop truth bombs on people as if you're better than them. And like a slap in the face with the truth because you've seen how bad you are at the cross. But once you realise how loved and accepted you are by Jesus, his great love for you, even though you are in that much trouble, you'll be secure enough in yourself to speak the truth in others and to risk conflict and to risk rejection because you're secure in his love and if you actually take this on if we take this on as a body as a community then we'll no longer be infants we'll no longer be spiritual babies we'll be grown-ups adults a mature body that's able to do great things for each other and for the community and ultimately for god Friends, this is how we grow up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're saying to us today. Help us to not be spiritual infants or babies who forget the word almost as soon as we hear it. Help us to be grown-ups and willing to face up to the truth because of how secure we are in your love. Thank you that the resurrection of power of Jesus brings us from death to new life. But Lord, that only makes us spiritual babies and so we need to get to work if we're going to grow. Help us to be a community that is united a mature body, working together, doing beautiful things to you that builds each other up by speaking the truth in love. Help us to have that kind of body here, Lord, so that we can grow up into maturity, a mature body, and do great things for your glory. We ask that it be done in Jesus' name. Amen.